couple of things tonight. First off, I want to personally apologize to each man here. Well, you weren't here, so forget you. Um, you weren't here either, so I'm not apologizing to you. But I'm apologizing to John uh, because our classes are supposed to be an hour in length. And the last two classes have pushed an hour and a half, almost two hours. Now, I wanted to take absolutely no responsibility for that because you guys are the ones that made it go long. Um, but the conversation and the discussion was really spectacular. So while I'm grateful, I want to apologize. And this is going to be a shorter night, strictly because Noah's got to go to bed. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm only kidding. That's right. Yeah, we all need to go to bed. Um, I'm sorry? Yeah, I was talking about the... Well, it must have been him. Yes, exactly right. Um, one of the things that we learned uh, early on in our class, some actually now four years ago, is that uh, a tzaddik would never embarrass another man intentionally. And being from New York, that's really hard for me. Um, so you bear with me as I learn that. I'll be 70 or 80 before that happens, but um, we'll work through that. So we're going we're gonna to start with some of the classes that we gave the first year that everybody raved about, and then we never did again because everybody knew them. And uh, so uh, I'm committed to walk through all the ones that we did last, uh, you know, four years ago. Um, so I'm expecting that for... I thought it was going to be half, but it's actually probably less than half of the people here have actually heard this class live. Um, so for those of you who have heard it, I don't know that you have actually heard it. You've learned it, but I don't know if you've heard it. Um, Ryan, I don't think you've heard it. You're live, right, on the, on the timeline? I think so. Really? Yeah, okay. So for those of you who have, um, help out. For those of you who haven't, um, what I want to present tonight is, is a means of you being able to present the plan of God anywhere you are. One of the easiest ways to do that is with a visual aid. And we have a visual aid for the Ten Commandments. Uh, if you don't know that, it's your body, and we'll, uh, we'll do that in some other class. But you can actually walk through the Ten Commandments. How many of you believe that people in the church today going to the church building on Sunday morning, believe that they should keep the Ten Commandments. 100% believe that they should keep the Ten Commandments. The Decalogue. But how many people in the church today can name all ten in order, backwards or forwards? Why don't you help them? You can do that. And it's quite simple. You can... The first one wrong route. Yeah, they do. Yeah. It's, it's a little tough, but, you know. So, um, and the fourth one's a tough deal, too, you know. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we're going we're gonna to help you with that um, so that you can be a witness there. I think our, our lives are, are wrapped around dealing with three different types of people, wouldn't you say? One would be the, the folks that are in the church that you used to fellowship with a lot, perhaps, or used to look down on or you used to look up to that now you may be estranged toward through no fault of your own. So we need to be able to deal with them effectively and legitimately where they're at. Secondly, we've got the folks that are not involved with God in any way and they don't know who God is. They don't know that there's a judgment coming, that there is a God whose commands they violated. We need to be able to interface and interact with them, I think, just as well, and I would argue, even more. Because their plight 
is desperate. The folks in the church, if you're not having fellowship with them now because they think you're weird, you know, deal with it. They still have a place in the world to come, we assume, and therefore it's not quite as bad as the second group. The third group, who's the third group? The people of God, the people that God chose by birth. Dealing with them and structuring your life around the commandments of God, trying not to offend them, but at the same time sharing with them that Messiah actually has come. That's that's a that should keep you busy. I mean, and plus, if you have a job, I mean, you know, that should fill up most of the week. So. Um, Right, so we're going to go through the history of God's people. This is the timeline that we're going to use with the walls and everything. So I just wanted to go through how we do it. And, and of course, we're going to start with the blank wall, right, and the, the blank room. So uh, just gather this up here if you could. We're going to pick a base corner in the room. I always choose, you know, the, the place everybody's like, far right there. That's, that's what I do, and that's today. So that's the base corner in this room, okay? Now, i got to tell you, I don't care where I am. If I'm going to talk about time in any way, whichever way I happen to be standing, that's always my base corner. Because if it's not, I'll get really confused. And if I get confused, everyone I'm talking to is going to get confused. So that's our base corner. So what we want to do is that's today, 2000, in the common era, and we're going to go counterclockwise around the room. 1,000, 0, 1,000 before the common era, 2,000 before the common era, and then lay in our 500-year marks because Jewish history, the history of God's people, can be laid out in 500-year segments. So that's what we want to do, and that's what we'll end up with. If you want to make it you know, look good, it's going to look something like this. Okay, so again, common era, that's, that's the time we use now, right? Um, before the common era would be, uh, for other people, I'm sorry? The year of our Lord. The year of our Lord, yeah, Anno Domini, yes. Um, and before the common era or before Christ, if you're uh, speaking in the church. So that's what we're looking at. So we want to divide the walls into 1,000 years and then divide them in half into 500 years. So it's a pretty simple deal. If we then put in the periods of God's people, then we see we've got the uh, Talmudic period, the Gaonic period, the Rishonim period, the Achoronim period. Back uh, at 2,000 before the Common Era, the Patriarchal period, Covenantal period, Bait Rishon and Bait Shani. We're going to walk through those tonight very quickly so that you understand it. And for those of you who are here and aren't really into the Hebrew, we're going to help you with those. So that's what we've got there. And we're going to add in historical markers for every one of them and just absolutely fill the room. I personally believe that if there's anybody on the planet that should be able to articulate what has happened to God's people and what God is doing down through history, is it's you. And you should be able to do it at the drop of a hat. Pick a period, talk about it. That kind of thing. So that's where we're trying to get. Okay? So uh, you've got my funky uh, 
example, God's house being destroyed. That's a not simple. Okay, yeah, okay, so we'll work with that. All right, so we got it. So let's look at Bait Rishon. We're going to start there first, right? So this is Bait Rishon. What does that mean? First temple. First temple, right? So it's the first temple period. So we've got uh, basically four periods broken down in there. Shmuel, Samuel, Malachim, and Devrei Hayamim. Kings and Chronicles. Kings and uh, what's Devrei Hayamim? It is Chronicles, but what's it mean? Words of uh, the days. Of the days. Words of the days or the Chronicles of each day, right? Right, and then we've got Ezra and we've got Esther. So those are our four major periods, and we've got uh, um, a lot of stuff going on there. We've got starting with David, and then we get the divided kingdom. We've got the northern tribes going into exile, and then finally the southern tribes going into exile. And all the while, there's sets of prophets that are trying to warn God's people. These are the the Nevi'im, prophets, and the Treyasar, specifically, 3, 6, 9, 12, the 12 minor prophets, minor because their books are shorter, not because they're shorter, or their words are less uh, viable. Right? So that's, uh, so we've got our prophets there. Every prophet in the Bible is in the first half of that wall. Every prophet in the Bible. So as you're looking at your Bible, and you're wondering where that happens, it's within a 500, maybe 600-year period. So we've got our major prophets, Elijah and Elisha, the pair there, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel right, uh, right there. Okay, so we've got that. So you've got the... Uh, Bait Rishon. Let's take a look here at Bait Shani, right? Which means the second temple, right? So we've got pretty much four periods here. Now I've got silent period. And when we get to this one in depth, we're going to change that. And we're going to put the Zugot there, right? And the men of the great assembly, because that's where they were. The Zugot, the pairs, and the men of the great assembly, they're the ones that came out of exile. So we've got the Persian period, the Greek period, of course, Alexander the Great, the Hasmonean period, and then the Roman period. And I'll tell you what, some of the intrigue and political nonsense going on in this last 100, 100, 200 years is, it's, it's like watching a, a TV melodrama. It's unbelievable. So we're going to look at that. Questions on that? No. All right. So back to our timeline. So we've had Bait Rishon, Bait Shani. So let's take a look now at the Talmudic period. All right? So we've got it broken down. Talmudic period is because we got the... Talmud. The Talmud, right? The Talmud is a combination of basically two books or two things, two discussions, right? So what do we got? First, we've got the, the Mishnah, right? So we've got a redacted, supposedly oral law, or the best we can have by Judah Hanasi or Judah... The prince. the prince, right? And then once he writes it all down, which had never happened before, then everybody starts talking about it. We've got Jewish people, God's people, in three different places on the planet. Only three on the entire planet. What are they? Number one, obviously, in Jerusalem, in Israel, right? Second, in Babylon, because we've got people that have been exiled, right? And then third... In Egypt, in Alexandria, Egypt, right? 
And actually, those are the three places that are discussed in the birth story of our master. Right? He was born in Israel. Men came from the east, Babylon, and then he fled, his father fled, and took him to Egypt. Okay, great. So we're going to look at the... Please. Uh, can you go back to the fall? That one? Yeah. Yes, I can. What, what no, I can't. No, no, I can't. One thing that I think is, is important is each wall is a thousand years, but the thing, the other thing that's important is there's um, in each corner, in each uh, corner there is a Zadik, a righteous person. So if, <clears throat> if we start in this corner... Uh, this would be uh, Abraham Avinu. Abraham, our father. And so that's 2,000 before the Common Era. And then we've become here, and we now have David Hamelech. David the king. And then now we're at, at, at zero, right? And the Zadik here, of course, is Yeshua HaMashiach. Yeshua the Messiah. And then now we're 1,000 Common Era, Rashi. Greatest commenter on the Torah and and then we get back to Tanakh. present day, right? In present day, who's the Zadik in that corner? Yeah. Okay, so so in each corner, you know, it's important to kind of tag tag the Zadik that you're talking about, and if you. And if you were to start here again at 2000 before the Common Era, if we go back another thousand years, now we're 3000 before the Common Era, the Zadik in that corner is Noah. 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 And if you go back another thousand years in this corner, you would have Adam Rishon, the first Adam, just like Adam Shani, the second Adam, is also in the same corner. Kind of works out nice. Very cool. So, Absolutely. All right, so. In the Talmudic period, we've got it broken down into two parts. The Tan- Tanaitic, where we have the Tanaim. These are the men that are mentioned in the, in the Mishnah, right? They're, they're quoted. They're players. They're the guys people are listening to. And the Amoraic period. What's Amora? What's that mean? What's, what's the Amoraic? No, the wrong language. Amore. No, 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 that's Dean, Dean Martin, no. It's not like Sodom and Gomorrah. It is not like that, yes. The, yeah, the, the Amoraic period are those that commented on the Talmud, right? These, I beg your pardon, on the Mishnah, right? So these are the guys that were secondary, right? These are the guys that came after the Tanas. These are the guys that talked about what the Tanaim said. Some of the greatest players you'll hear about are here. And we won't get into it now, but it's an exciting time. And it's exciting for us because we've got Mashiach at the beginning. And then what happens afterwards? Well, the church as we know it is born through that split. Exactly. As the Jews chose to go one way and the Gentiles went another. That's not to say some Gentiles didn't go with the Jews and some Jews didn't go with the Gentiles, but by and large, they split. Exactly. All right? So, we go back and after the 
Talmudic period, we've got the Gaonic period. We said that we had Jews in three different areas on the planet. They were Israel, Jerusalem, Babylon, right, in exile, and then in Egypt. Well, as, as the folks from Israel are ejected and Rome exiles the Jews, things begin to change. Babylon begins to become the center of all things biblical. You want to know what to do? You're looking for a leader. You're looking for counsel, for wisdom. It's these schools, these Talmudic schools, and these Gaon. What's a Gaon? A Talmudic genius. These are guys who know the Word of God. That's what almost doesn't need to be said. And then on top of that, have studied the Talmud now that it's been redacted or written down. And they're the ones that are telling people how to live out the Word of God. It's a, it's a wonderful time. But it's a time of flux. Okay? So we have in here the rise and birth of Islam. And then we've got this migration from Babylon, which is, I mean, do you know your geography? If I'm looking at the map, I've got Israel here, and I've got Turkey and all of that stuff up here, and I've got Africa down here, and they're leaving Babylon. Some are going... Over there. Right. Some are, thank you, Babylon. They're leaving Babylon because this was Israel, right? So they're leaving Babylon. Some are coming back to the land, although not few because they've been kicked out of the land, so they're really not welcome there. So they're either going north across the top or south across the bottom. If they go north across the top, they pass through European lands that are mostly Christian. If they go south across the bottom, they're going through lands that are mostly controlled by Islam. But the end is, when they come across, they're coming up into Portugal and Spain. The other folks are coming across the top, and they're going into Western Europe. Okay? So as this migration is happening, we've got some extraordinarily special people. And the the night we go through this, I, I think you'll be surprised. The sitter that you guys pray from each day and on Shabbat, is comes out of this period, you know, Amram Gaon and, and some others. Um, we've got the rise of the Karaites and the whole, I hate rabbis, and I never want to be a rabbi, and I don't want to talk to a rabbi. That period where these guys rise up. And from that, we get the Karaite movement that we even have today. And I would say some of uh, the flavor of Messianic Judaism. So that's what's going on there in the Gaonic period, okay? So we're, we're moving through here from King David all the way down now uh, through Rashi. So now we'll look at the Rishonim period. Rishonim means first ones, right? And uh, the Akaronim period is the latter ones or second ones, right? So this Rishonim period, everybody you read about, any name that you can name who's a luminary in Judaism today, a rabbinic flavor of the month, comes from here, from this period of time, this 500-year period. It's extraordinary, but we've got uh, not only the, the luminaries um, that we're familiar with, like Rashi, uh, but we've also got the conquests that are happening here uh, as we've got the uh, Crusades going on, and we've got Rambam, and we've got the Ramban, and we've got 
the introduction of the Zohar and this whole Jewish mysticism thing. And, uh, and of course, we've got the Black Death as uh, a third of Europe dies. And who gets blamed? The people who had cleanliness practices that stopped the plague from affecting them as much. It's not to say that no Jews died, but because they followed the Torah. Most of them did not die. But we got people dropping like flies, and you got a group of people that suspiciously and conspicuously are not dying, what do you assume? They caused it! But they didn't. But they got blamed for it. And then finally, the uh, Spanish Inquisition, the expulsion from Spain, the expulsion uh, from England had already happened. We get the expulsion from uh, Portugal later on. So the Rishonim period, the first ones. And uh, if you've got a mezuzah on your home and uh, it's tilted, it's tilted, not because Rashi said it should be tilted, but because his sons-in-law one of them specifically. Anybody know his name? Rabenu Tom. Tom. Right? What's Rabenu? Our teacher Tom said it should be horizontal. Rashi says this way. His son-in-law says this way. I hope that doesn't happen with me. But, you know, what they do? Both men were so revered and honored for their wisdom with regard to the Torah that we place our mezuzot at an angle. You'll notice that we're going to be dealing, when we talk about this period of time, with Western Europe, because we've got Jews showing up there. We've got Spain, because we've got Jews showing up there from the south. And then we've got other lands that we're dealing with. The Western European Jews, we've come to know now as the Ashkenaz, right? They're the ones that do the weird endings to the letters. Instead of a Chumash, it's a Chumash. Instead of Shabbat, it's Shabbos. Instead of a talit, it's a talis, and so on. But we are unique, correct, right? Oh, you're an Ashkenaz? No. It's more accurate. No. Good Shabbos, son. <laughs> it is weird, but not as weird as, weird as a Sephardi. <laughs> that, <laughs> That, well, that's, that's, that's even off the planet. We're not even going to talk about it. Um, but yeah, Spain is where we get the Sephardi, right? And that's where you get the normal pronunciations that we're familiar with and we practice. The ones that we read, different. Sephardi Jews, and we have uh, two um, representatives of, of that uh, clan, although they're not Jewish, um, represented here tonight uh, with uh, the whole southern influence and I got to tell you the music's cooler the pronunciations are better and uh, well we move on from there before we cause uh, all kinds of problems so back to our uh, our map we've got the Akaronim period this is uh, this is real close to home and I think you'll be surprised because up to this point there's not a lot of Gentiles that have had an influence on society from a religious perspective. You've had some great guys. Um, you've even had movies, right? About uh, men who fought valiantly. 
King Arthur and uh, who's it, you know, Freedom, who's, who's that with the Patriot, uh, William Wallace, you know, all that stuff. All that happened before. But from a religious perspective, it wasn't there. So now, starting at the middle of the wall, you've got an unbelievable amount of stuff going on. And we've got the Kabbalists and the Separatists coming up in the Renaissance period. We've got the Enlightenment for the Church. And yet at the same time, the Puritans are coming up in between 1600 and 1700, right before our country was founded, right? Because they helped found some of it because they left. You've got William Bradford and you've got, uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, we won't get through him. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield. These guys are in the 16 and 1700s. Um, they're, they're just, they're names, but they're so recent, and yet we've got all these other names that we just went through for 500 years. So after the Puritans, we've got the Hasid and uh, the Baal Shem Tov and the whole Hasidic movement. And then we've got the reaction to that with Reform Judaism. And then finally, Orthodox uh, uh, Judaism with Rabbi Hirsch. You've got George Mueller coming at it about the same time. Napoleon, if you're wondering where he is, is just after 1800. So just to give you a time frame, because I don't know what you know of history. When I walked into this, I knew Zip. Okay. Uh, after that, we get the Zionists, of course, and we get the opportunity uh, to get the land back. And, uh, and then, of course, we have uh, Hitler and the Holocaust. Right? So uh, Mother Teresa, Bill Gothard, names that we know, they're right here, right before this time. And yet, you know, the Shulchan Aruch, right? The Code of Jewish Law, 500 years ago. Everything that you know about Christianity, everything, is in the last three, four hundred years. It's so new compared to the faith that we claim. All right. So, everybody got it? The two periods I left out, the patriarchal period and the covenant period, we're going to start with. But before we do that, back to Greg's point, if this corner is today... In God's timing, it's 6,000 years before creation, right? Thank you, after creation. Um, So from 6,000 years before creation, it's also this same corner, 2,000 years where Abraham is, right? We're at the same corner where Abraham is. Greg just said that this corner, we have Adam, the first Adam, and the second Adam, Yeshua. That corner, our base corner, is where we are and where Abraham is. So if we back up from Abraham 2,000 years, we get to creation. Okay? So we've got uh, an additional graphic that shows us the things that we just talked about with creation and Adam, then Enoch, Noah. We've got the flood and finally the Tower of Babel. That's what we've got. So we go around the room twice. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mehalel, Yared, Enoch, uh, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Shem, Arpachshad, Shelah, Eber, Peleg, Ru, Sarug, Nahor, Terah, Avram, that is Avraham. And we see around the outside. We, uh, we read in uh, Matthew, all the generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations, that would be from here to here. From David to the deportation to Bavli, that's from here to here, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Bavli to the Mashiach, 
14 generations. That's the way he put it. Because that's the whole Bible right there. I firmly believe that there's nothing better you could do for your walk than to memorize that entire thing, including the references. You have an open invitation to talk to anybody on the planet about history. It has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with Judaism. It has nothing to do with wearing a kippah or wearing strings. I know they're there somewhere. You should memorize it. If there's one subject I just didn't deal with in school, it was history. And I'm ashamed of it now. You ready? You can do this. I feel confident. Okay. Patriarchal period. That's this period right here. 500 years. What happened right before Abraham comes on the scene in the Bible? Right before it. Tower of Babel. Right? Babel. What's the deal? What happened? Tower of Babel. Tell me what's, what's the deal. Confused the language of men. Why? Because they were uniting and faithless rebelling. United, faithless rebelling. United sounds good. Is that a bad thing? It was if they were uniting against God. Yeah. They were united in their rebellion. Exactly right. Okay? So they wanted to build a tower. What's so, what's so weird about that? Avoid the next one. They didn't trust God. God said there would only be one flood. He would never do that again. So they want to build a tower to reach God, to reach the heavens, right? And what did they do with the bricks? They put, them, they put tar on them. What does that make them? Waterproof. So let's see. Between the lines, we've got a rebellion going on for sure. Okay. Um, and right before the Tower of Babel, what happened before that? Obviously the, the flood, sure. Because the tzaddik we had before that is Noah. What happened right after that? What, right, what happens right after, after Abraham and his family? What do we learn about? Egypt. Okay. Um, that would be the exile, because we've got three of those, right, we're going to talk about. And what's the Hebrew word for exile? Gavlut. Galut. The Galut, right. So we've got the Galut, Mitzrayim, the Egyptian exile. And then we've got Galut, Bavli, or Babylonian, right, when they get kicked out of the land. Why? They didn't keep that seventh year command, Shemitah, to give the land a rest. That's just one command that most people don't even think about. By the way, you don't have to do that here. You have to do it there. And then the third exile, which some would consider is still going on, the the Galut. Edom, or or of Rome, the Roman exile, or Edom, which continues till now. The rabbis say that Mashiach is in exile with his people, even as we speak. So we've got the events before and after. So if I ask you right now, we know Abraham's over in this corner. Where's Mount Sinai? Right here. Good. Where's Christ? Good. 
Good. You're not pointing? Is it because you're tired or you don't care? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Where's King David? Quick! You don't know. Okay, good. He's in this corner. Where's Noah? No, he's right here. No, all right. Yes, it is right there. Noah's there. Okay. So uh, Abraham is... Good. Good. All right. Who are the key Jewish players in this 500-year period? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Those are the key players, right? Those are the key players. You've got some minor players. We've got this weird interlude about one of Judah's brothers named one of Joseph's brother, yeah, thank you. One of Joseph's brothers named Judah and his daughter-in-law or daughter named a daughter-in-law named Tamar or Tamar, right? And you've got that whole deal going on there. It teaches a good lesson. So he's a minor player. Who are the Gentile players? Who can you think of? On this corner. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I wouldn't consider Elazar a Gentile player, but that is very good. He is a Gentile. He's a player. Okay, good. Good. Elazar would be in, in English, would be Eliezer. Avimelech, the king of the Philistines. Good. Potiphar, absolutely. Would Laban count as Gentile? He was related. I don't see why we'd call him Jewish. He didn't cross over. Good. Lavan or Laban. Got him? But Hagar. Hagar, I like it. I like it. Or Hagar, absolutely. Egyptian. Is this in the right period with Melchizedek? Melchizedek or Malkitzedek is the first one on my list. Why is he in there? Why is he in the list we're talking about? We say he's not Jewish. I can buy that. He's got no lineage that we know of. In fact, he's got no lineage. But where is he on the timeline? He's got to be in this half-wall deal because he met with Abraham. Absolutely. Lot! Or Lot. Yeah. Yeah, Lot gets a bad rap. We want to help Lot out. Righteous guy, just like you. So when somebody kind of wants to put you down because maybe of some questionable behavior on your part, we all want to lift up you. So we want to do the same thing for Lot. Okay, good. Who else we got that's not plugged into the family? Gentile players. Arrows. Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, in fact, I would go so far as to say that the first player is Avraham Avinu. Abraham, our father. But the last player is surely Pharaoh, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. Pharaoh wants this done. Pharaoh wants that done. There arose a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. How can that be possible? Can you, I can't believe that's possible. How can you not know Joseph? You get it. I get it. There's weird in-between characters like Ishmael and Edom who came from the same line as all the cool Jewish guys. Exactly right. But they're, they're the second tier, right? Or the benched players. <laughs> okay. All right. Give me some places. Where, where, are we, where are we dealing with? We're in the land of Canaan and Padan Aram. 
Egypt. We just read about some two cool places. We got Egypt in here. I would say We've got Sukkot. Ex- who said Sukkot? Thank you. Sukkot, good. The land of the Chaldeans. Or... Okay, Ur outside, right? We learned about that. I'm looking for two two specific places that come to mind. Hmm? Shechem or Shechem, yes. Beersheba. Moriah. Beitel. That's the one I was looking for, sure, right? Beitel. Cairo. Peniel. Those are the two that I think are top shelf. I mean, if I got to talk about 500 years of history, I'm not going to talk about Egypt. I'm going to talk about Beitel, the house of God. And I'm going to talk about probably Sukkot, only because I had dinner with him and he talks about it constantly. And I'm probably going to talk about Peniel, the face of God. I'm talking about Moriah. Moriah's big. I'm going to put Moriah on there. Absolutely. All right. If all of Jewish history can be busted down into 500-year segments or half walls... I'm not going to ask you which one you think is most important. What I am going to ask you tonight is, on this one, why is it most important? What's the importance of the patriarchal period? The promises of God are given to us, and specifically to the patriarchs, right here. Who cares? Foundation. It's the foundation of our faith. If they weren't given these promises and God wasn't faithful to fulfill them, we don't have a faith. Exactly right. Redemption Redemption is described and then later fulfilled. We see it pictured and then we see it placed or performed. We have a demonstration of how we should act. God said it, I'm going to do it. Not God said it, I believe it. That settles it. God said it. That settles it. Who cares if you believe it? God said it. He didn't say it. It's that faith and obedience that believe and obey. And isn't that really what your faith is all about? It's not about creeds and doctrines. We're not going to recite things that are outside the Word of God. We're going to do silly things, like wear strings. And when people say, what's with the uh, origami thing? You know, what, it wasn't origami. Macrame. Yeah, what's with the macrame thing? I actually had a guy ask me that in church. What's with the macrame? <laughs> well, why were you at church? <laughs> why, was, why was I at church wearing this? Yeah, well, it's, yeah, we have, to, we have to ask that, yeah. What's with the macrame? What's what's the right question there? If you're from New York, what's the right question? No, no. I mean, what's yeah? What macrame? Well, you know, what was what's with the pleats? Yeah. I I I think if we're if we're going to be obedient, we need to be prepared with answers, right? You know, what's with the macrame? And I think Rick Spurlock's response to me years ago is simply the best answer. I'm just trying to be obedient. It's so non-confrontational. I think it's wimpy because I'm from New York. I'm like, no, 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 we got, we need more of that. We just need a little bite in there, you know. I'm just trying to be obedient. What are you doing? You know, no, but you know, that's 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 not Rick. That's that's me. So, all right. So I think you got it. 
So to summarize, we, we've got these walls that come together, and, and I want you to see that there's a split. In the first 2,000 years of creation's history, you have God creating a perfect man in a perfect place, in perfect communion with him. And he goes to hell in a handbasket to the point where he's got to flood them out, and then they still are wanting to create a tower. I mean, it's really, really bad. But then you've got the other half of that first 4,000 years that really makes a difference. In that second 2,000 years, you've got a man called by God who is faithful. He hears and he obeys, even though it doesn't make any sense. Leave your family? Are you nuts? I don't even have a handgun. Leave my family. But he does. Kill my son after all I went through to get this son? Are you nuts? But he does. Hey. Like in a parable. As it were. You know? Okay? So we've got faith. We've got hearing. We've got the word of God. We've got obedience. We've got ourselves an example. And we're just looking at the patriarchal side, not even the matriarchal side. And from there, this promise grows and this seed comes forth. We follow it through and we end up with King David and then the ultimate in King Solomon, which is where that 14th generation ends. And then we go downhill from there as we chose to be rebellious to God. And yet, in his faithfulness, he allows us to come back to the land and finally brings forth the seed of David, the seed of Jesse. If you're going to give history, starting from zero and going to 4,000, is pretty incredible. You can avoid the whole argument about how old the earth is Just start with Adam. That'll work. You get into the age of the earth later. So, we've got the first 2,000 years. We've got that second 2,000 years. And we just lived the last or the third 2,000 years. And the sages say that just like the creation story, six days and then Shabbat. 6,000 years, because a day is like a 1,000 years to the Lord. 6,000 years, man will reign. And then a 1,000 years, Messiah will reign. It looks like we're due. This is 57.73. So, that's, that's why it's so important. If this is true, then we can say what Paul and Peter said that Messiah is right around the corner soon in our days amen Amen. you got some crummy stuff going on on this planet right now Palestine these these weird people what, what is the Arab people just got a state granted to them somehow on land they don't even own You got a guy with his thumb on a nuke. That is nuts. It's as simple as that. I, I, I promise you, 
before you're all my age, this will all be worked out. I'm going to beat you. God bless you. I'm going to beat you to see the master. I'll see him before you do. Guaranteed. Unless you get hit by a car or you do something stupid, like walk in front of a train. You know, I'm going to get there first. I'm going to know everything that's going to happen. And when he gathers up his people in the air and brings them to Jerusalem, you're going to meet me in the air. It's as simple as that. Because I'm the oldest guy in the room. I'm going to die. Before you die, I believe he's going to come. Now, I think it's really important that you teach your kids this stuff in case you get hit by a bus. Okay. (laughs) So let's look at the patriarchal period. I found the best way, looking through all of this history, was to break it down based on the portions. Because you should be able, I would think you should be able, I don't know how long you've been in this walk, but you should be able to look at these portion names and know what that particular portion talks about. And I want to challenge you tonight. If you look at Lech Lacha, in your going, go. If you don't know what that means, and you don't know what that particular portion is about, what have you been doing every Shabbat morning? Read it. At least figure out what it means. What's Toldot? Generations. Generations. Uh, what's... Uh, I thought Kaye Sarah. Yeah. What's Kaye Sarah mean? What's it about? Sarah dies. The death of Sarah. Vayira. And he saw. You should be able to kind of work with that and move on. We've got Malki Tzedek. Who said that? We've got uh, Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Yosef, and Pharaoh, our main players. We've got Lot, Ishmael, Levan, Asav, Dina, Benjamin, Potiphar. These guys are here because something happens that allows you to glorify Messiah. You should be able to talk about a guy here and talk in some way about Messiah. That's what it's all about. So somebody grab a guy who's not in bold and give me a shot. Yes, the story of Dina. Where's Dina? Where is Dina? Right here. Yeah, even though it's all a trick, the, the brothers give the first uh, offer of circumcision for conversion, where the evil of Shem had the option of being circumcised and then joining the faith, as it were, without actually worshiping God. Just kind of interesting little like thing that they left out. Um, many thousands of years later, we will see this repeated. But a whole bunch of people, in the book of Galatians, wind up trying to tell the followers of Messiah the same thing. It's great that you have faith in God, but it's not enough. You've got to get circumcised. Messiah is actually the way that we join the faith, not through the circumcision routine um, or the commandment, which is what the brothers were sort of parlaying with the story of Dina. Outstanding. Wow, that was good, wasn't it? I mean, you know, the bottom line here is they used circumcision as a trick. Later on, it really is a trick. It's a fake out. Here was on purpose. Here, it had become rote. Yes, sir. Benjamin. So the birth of Benjamin. Uh, uh, One to twelve. He's number twelve for the Gentiles in the group. Sorry. <laughs> so Rachel, 
Rachel is pregnant with Benjamin as they are uh, as they've come back into the land and they are heading to uh, Hebron to go see uh, Yosef's father Zach. and on the way there she goes into uh, labor in a place called Ephrat or I guess Ephrata I think is actually the Hebrew uh, which is also known as Bethlehem Bethlehem and she gives birth to her second son. Yosef was the first. And she dies shortly after giving birth. And right before she passes away, she says, uh, her, her nurse tells her it's a boy, and she says, his name is Ben, ben Oni. Ben in Hebrew means son. Oni means uh, my suffering. Or travail. Travail. Yeah. So she named him son of my suffering or son of my travail. And then uh, Yos, uh, and then uh, I'm sorry, Yaakov says, no, no, he's not going to be Ben Oni, he's going to be Ben Yamin, which is son of my right hand. So we have a story of a son being born in Bethlehem. And his the names that he was given, one by his mother and then, and then one by his father, are both prophetic pictures of a future son that would be born in Bethlehem, who is both the son of suffering and the son of the right hand, namely Messiah Yeshua, who did in fact suffer on our behalf and who also now sits at the right hand of Hashem. So, yeah, so that's, uh, and by the way, shortly, you know, kind of over the hill from from where he was born, there's a place that is talked about uh, in, the, in that Parsha, and uh, also uh, in some prophecies in Micah, and I think it's one other place, if I'm not mistaken, called, uh, called Migdaladeh, and that is translated or typically translated as Tower of the Flock. And um, there's a there's a in Micah chapter four, I believe it is, there's a prophecy about this place called uh, Migdal Adair, which is a tower that that was erected to uh, where the shepherds would uh, sit in the tower so they could look over the hillside and keep watch over the flocks. Okay. And you guys are supposed to be humming that now softly to yourselves. So it turns out that Benjamin, the son of the right hand, was born, you know, in Bethlehem, just a short distance away from this place called the Tower of the Flock, where shepherds would uh, watch over their flocks. And these flocks were not just any just ordinary flocks. It turns out that maybe not at the time of Benjamin, but later, by the time we get to the Master's Day, uh, these fields um, right outside of Bethlehem and the shepherds that were working the flocks there were actually tending sheep that were specifically raised to be used in temple sacrifice in Jerusalem. So they weren't just any shepherds, they were special shepherds watching over special sheep. They were, they were lambs to be sacrificed in temple service. So why is it that when we get to the Luke narrative of the master's birth, a miraculous 
miraculous birth, born in Bethlehem, and the angels appear to the shepherds on the hillside. So these aren't just any ordinary shepherds. These are the shepherds who are qualified to watch over the lambs that are to be sacrificed in the temple. And they are there. They're there in this place called Midaladair, which is why it was prophesied. Yeah, etc. So all of that comes out of the birth of Benjamin. The dots all connect back to the birth of Benjamin. So Exactly right. Well done. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I would I would encourage you that uh, you you can see the various portions there so that you can follow along. Have you ever wondered why in the in uh, in uh, in the Gospels it says um, actually even in the in the prophets it says and you Bethlehem Ephrata least among the seeds are going to be great because of this happening. Why did why did they throw the Ephrata on there? Or Ephrata? Why did they do that? Because there's two Benjamins. There was one up in the north in Zebulun's country, and there was one further down in the south. Had to determine which Bethlehem. So it's very, very specific. Isaac? Um, yes. The sweet land. You have chosen poorly. When Abraham is praying to God to save, if there are so and so men, he will be the righteous men, right? Says different numbers, praying not to annoy God, and is questioning. Uh, we get the cool, um, cool number of ten for a million. Yep. Praise down. Right now. Right now. Gather his family. Her name is not mentioned. Her name is not mentioned. Some kind of salty girl. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes, sir. Speaking of uh, right, I got you next. Right-handed uh, sons of Benjamin, Belchid uh, Zadek, who uh, uh, greets Abraham Abinu as he's coming back from his victorious rampage of the of the uh, kings that captured both his his uh, his nephew, Belchid. Um, Zadek, who is not really mentioned much at all in the scriptures, don't know too much about him. I'd love to do more research from the Kabbalistic side, from the uh, Talmudic side. But he brings, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he greets Abraham, Abraham brings up bread and wine. He, he says that he blessed, uh, he said a blessing, and then he partook of the bread and wine with, with this man who's identified as the priest of Adonai uh, in Sabem, uh, which is. Supposedly, Yerushalayim at that time, which is you know, the city of Shem, if you will. So, so that's where he, 
he appears first, very mysterious, comes out of nowhere. But obviously, Abraham uh, is impressed with this man and tithes ten, uh, a tenth of all the spoils of war he gives to this priest of Adonai. Right. And and you, you don't see that you don't see his name appear at all in Scripture until Psalm 110. And again, it says it starts out, uh, Hashem said to my Lord, said Hashem said to Adonai, basically, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So it's he's talking basically to it's a it's a reference of Yeshua and, and his second coming, Mashiach ben David. And you, you read the Psalm, and, and he will um, just shatter the opponents of of the Mashiach, and all the nations will be gathered together, and it's a, he will be glorified. And then towards the end, and you will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Tzedek, my king is, uh, is, is is righteousness. So while while he is the son of the right hand, and from from, from the city of David, he is still that that, that priestly figure of the king and priest that was that was all the way back in, in Bereshit. Outstanding, outstanding. Uh, without lineage and without time. Good. Yes, sir. Good one. I was just going to say, great high priest and um, great king. Good. He said it way better than I could. <laughs> no, he said it better than you could say it tonight. tonight. Wait till next week. I guess uh, I'd like to cover uh, Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Ishmael being the uh, firstborn of Abraham. Correct. Uh, he had Ishmael with Hagar when, and was actually uh, recommended by Sarah because her womb still didn't open. And um, they decided to go about it that way. Um, when God revealed to Abraham, <clears throat> you know, the uh, about circumcision, Ishmael was about 13 at that time. Um, Sarah had noticed that Ishmael, it says in the scripture, it's very, it doesn't really describe what Ishmael was doing to Isaac, but Sarah caught it and told Abraham, you need to send Ishmael and his mother away. So Abraham sends Ishmael and Hagar away after finding out from God that um, God will take care of Ishmael and that 12 princes will come from him. And in connecting that to the Islamic period, um, the second son of Ishmael, Kedar, is uh, who Muhammad is descended from. Lovely. So, um, and uh, God continued to be with Ishmael even though he was separated from Abraham. Why is he named Ishmael? Because God hears. I don't get it. I get the Shema part. I get the L part. I don't get the story. Hagar's desperate. She she runs away from Sarah. She cries out because she's. Um, all alone, suffering. Sarah's been rather mean to her, it appears. And um, God hears her prayers. Oh, nice. And she has no way to support herself or her son. Well, she a lot. He promises to give her a son, and that he too will be a Great significant progenitor of you know peoples and whatever else. And um, we see that bless that promise is also given to Abraham about Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold. Came true. We've got Ishmael from Ishmael descends um, Arabs and Islam. So uh, um, you know, sometimes you have mixed blessing, I suppose. Yeah, actually, yes. Actually, um, 
in the scripture where it says that his hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him is uh, almost pointing to Hagar that Ishmael and his descendants will never be enslaved by another people. Hmm. They always will be this, you know, this nomadic people who will um, not be conquered by other peoples. Where is uh, Where is Joseph Smith on the walls? Very recent. He's the founder of Mormonism. He found some plates made of gold that were the books of Mormon. Who is the founder of Islam? Muhammad. Where is he? Right there where Jonathan is. Islam is at about 700. Okay? So... Where's just point and if you point someplace don't don't change where you point because you see where everybody else points. Stand up, be a man, point to where Christianity started. Okay. So I've got at least two or three different answers. For those of you who pointed here at this corner, why did you point at this corner? I think the ones that pointed at, oh, oh, you pointed here. Yes. After the master. Yes. Okay. So why are you pointing, yeah, say it. Why, why did you point there? Separation between what and what? Between the foundational faith and some mod- modified version. Okay, so it was a modification of, of uh, well, it was actually a split off and a completely new choice, right? I mean, our faith that we're practicing here is a sect of Judaism. And Christianity, as we know it, is a branch off away from that, not a part of Judaism, right? Some comment here? No? I pointed to Constantine. That works too. I like that. That'll work. Okay. Um, I saw some other pointing, some other corners. Sir? Um, it varies based on what you think the origin of Christianity really is. It could be Constantine. Some people say it was immediately after Christ, which is... The cross, let's say. Sure. Good. Yeah. And then you could say... Well, I would put those in generically the same area. That's fine. Um, same wall. Modern Christians would say that it has nothing to do with Constantine or the Catholic Church, and this is modern thing would happen more over here. So it really varies on what you define Christianity as. All right. So this would be the separation of the Protestant from the Ah, well, I just want to make sure that we're clear that that separation of Protestantism from Catholicism was not there. It was way over there. Okay. So it's it's way past anything that we're dealing with. Where did your faith start? Your point to Abraham? Your point to Abraham? Your point to Adam? Abraham? We can we can argue both ways, right? Yeah. I would say the first man of faith that we're told about would be Abraham, right? So if our faith starts with Abraham, 
I, I mean, I, we, it's arguable. It's arguable. I, I grant you that. But the first one who's lifted up for his faith and his obedience and so forth um, is a really good one to use with your folks and friends in the church. Well, when Christianity began, excuse me, excuse me, do you believe that Abraham is in the church, part of the church? Do you believe that Abraham is saved? The Old Testament church. Actually, no, because we see in Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, Abraham is mentioned in there. So he may be in the Old Testament church, but he's also in the New Testament church. Yeah, he was grandfather. I got you. You are a very well-known, popular megachurch person who will remain unnamed. Unnamed at this point. Who on national television with confidence declared that Abraham was the first Christian. So There it is. There you go. So, well, I... Now, hang on. My, my son wanted to say something. Okay. Yeah. No question. And his and his sacrifice was accepted because of his faith. I understand it. I would say though that the father of the faithful, Abraham, even everyone would agree that. But you're right. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a problem too. I think we could argue it, guys. No question. But if you're going to point to a guy, you should be able to stand up and give an argument. I think everybody in the church falls flat. When they say the church began, as you pointed out, at the cross, at the day of Pentecost, at Constantine, somewhere, or at the birth of Protestantism, right? He's the first pope. He's got the keys to the kingdom, right? Whatever. If you start talking about Avraham Avinu, Abraham, our father, you're, you're going to, yeah, you're going to find yourself with a person who's very perplexed as to how Abraham can be actually included in the church. Because they will agree because they can't deny it. Well, then you can ask some really great questions depending on the faith of the person you're talking to. So, did he have the Holy Spirit? Oh. Did he have the Holy Spirit like you? Did he get saved the way you did? Or was there another way to be saved? Did he confess the name of Jesus? But wait a minute. I mean, you can have a good time with that. But remember, as the scriptures teach us, whenever you're arguing with anyone, if you're from New York, the idea is to decimate your opponent. But as a tzaddik, the only reason you would ever argue is to bring about repentance. Shuva. That's the only reason. If you just want to argue with a guy to just ground him to dust, send him to me. Because I'm a schmo. But that's not helpful. That's not what a tzaddik does. That's what I do in the flesh. Anybody can pound somebody else. The idea is to open their mind so that they would understand the truth, the glorious truth of the gospel. And they would see that maybe, just maybe, what they've been taught might be just a hair off. That's all. God will take care of the rest. The preacher will deal with it the next Sunday. 
I think it's um, well. It's been important in some conversations, especially with the Muslims, mm-hmm. because they go back to Abraham. Because it's their father too. Sure, Shmuel. For clarity, is Abraham, it's Yaakov. The patriarchs. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. All right. Final comment. Okay. Hey, I'm done. Good job. So, not every week, but over the next several months, we're going to touch every wall in great detail. The lightest one we can do is the one we just did. Because it's all in the Bible. It's all right there. And we're in the middle of reading it right now. I mean, we just read about some of the stories that I heard about tonight. Right? So, as we start to walk into the thick of this time period we're going to see some things I hope that will make highlight marks on your timeline, in your mind remember our goal as Tzadikim is to be able to teach if somebody says could somebody pray for you should be the guy to stand up that's what this class is all about if somebody says well I'm not really sure about that. Does anybody know? You should be the guy to stand up. It doesn't matter what the topic is. If it has to do with the Word of God, you should be an expert. Amen? Amen. That's what we're studying for. That's what we're trying to do here. And it's not to, it's not to shine and, and look great. It's to change hearts. It's to be the mouthpiece that God can use. Not necessarily will, but can use. We need to study to show ourselves approved. To whom? God. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, but can accurately handle the word of truth. And he wasn't talking about the New Testament, because it didn't exist. He's talking about the Tanakh. We need to be able to accurately handle it. And gentlemen, before we get to Rosh Hashanah, I want to be able to say that about each guy here. Amen? Let me pray for you. Good Father, we thank you for the time you've provided tonight. I thank you for all these fabulous guys. It's amazing. I pray for each one now, Father, that you give them a burning in their heart to study your word, that they'd be consumed with knowing the intricacies, the details, the things that no one knows or remembers, the things that no one cares about. But Father, I would, I would pray now that you would help them to weave that into a beautiful story it causes others to just be in awe that they would choose, that they would desire, as a result of hearing that, to study your word and to be changed. We know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing, Father, by the word of God. And I pray that we would be men of the book, that we would know it, that you'd find us faithful and true to it. We pray that your son would soon come and bring us back to Jerusalem. I'm looking for a two-story flat. Thank you very much. We pray this. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach Aranenu in the name of Jesus or Yeshua, our Messiah and Lord and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.